0: Hey, rock and roll.
1: (laughs) Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. You're fantastic at coding, but do you have an action plan to take it to the next level? The upcoming book, Next Level Freelance, will help you optimize your freelance business for happiness. The book is packed with actionable steps to make more money, case studies, tips to find more clients, and exercises for you to establish your desired lifestyle. Extras include nine interviews with freelancers who make great money while enjoying great work-life balance, videos on strategies to find quality subcontractors, and videos on making more free time by outsourcing your daily tasks. Check it out today, nextlevelfreelance.com. This episode is sponsored by Planscope. Planscope is a project management and collaboration app built for freelancers and the way they work with clients. It makes it easy to price out new estimates, and once you're underway, help answer the question, will this get done on time and under budget? I've been using Planscope to do my estimates and manage my projects, and I really, really like it. It makes it really easy to keep things in order and understand when things will get done. You can go check it out at planscope.io. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 92 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Ash Dryden. Hi everyone. Reuven Lerner.
2: Hello from Transylvania. Transylvania.
1: That totally (laughs) threw me off. I was so ready to say Curtis's name.
2: We also have Curtis McHale. Yeah, yeah. Cluj is the capital of Transylvania.
1: Awesome. So weird. We also have Curtis McHale. Hello. Eric Davis. Hi. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, Dan Miller. Hey, honey. Now I have to say I'm I'm a big fan of Dan, so I will I'm going to do an intro and then he can tell me what I missed. How's that? Hey, that'll work. Keep it short and brief. Yep. So Dan is the author of 48 Days to the Work You Love. He is also the author of No More Mondays or No More Dreaded Mondays. I think the new edition has dreaded in there. He runs 48days.net and has a podcast at 48days.com. Is that correct? Yep. That's all correct. And you live in Nashville or near Nashville, Tennessee.
0: Yeah, just south of Nashville, about 20 miles in Franklin.
1: And, uh, I know right where
0: that is. Hey, it's a great place.
1: I'm working <laughs> for a client in Franklin right now.
0: Really? It's the intellectual capital of the world. Oh, there you
1: go. Yes. Yeah, you and uh, Dave Ramsey.
0: Yeah, Dave Ramsey, Mike Hyatt. We got a whole bunch of people hanging out here.
1: Yeah, I listen to both of their shows too. <laughs> All right. So uh, anyway, we brought you on today to just talk about, well, I have a little bit of a story to do a little bit of setup. How's that? Okay. I, got, I got laid off a little over three years ago, and I was thinking, okay, well, I need to find another job, and my wife's freaking out, and, you know, where are we going to get more money? And so I went, and I bought your book, 48 Days to the Work You Love, and I read it, and I was like, okay, well, I need to start doing this stuff. So I started doing that stuff, and in the meantime, I started doing work for clients. And it turned out that the work I loved, I did get a job offer, and I turned it down because I was happy freelancing.
0: There you go. I've heard that story again and again and again. Losing a job turns out to be a blessing.
1: Yeah, so you tend to push people a little bit toward self employment, I guess when it when it fits with the lifestyle that they want to lead. Do you have some guideline that you tend to follow for people who should or shouldn't go freelance?
0: Boy, you you just ask an hours worth of questions in that one statement. Great question, <laughs> and you put a you put a caveat in there that's extremely important. If it fits, I mean, some people think that because of what I do and what I write about that I'm. Encouraging everybody, you know, to quit their jobs and just go do something crazy, entrepreneurial, you know, freelance, uh, non-traditional. Not at all. There's tons of people that I think are best positioned in a job. The key is what is it that fits you. If you have the propensity and the characteristics that would make you good at doing something non-traditional, then fine. Let's figure that out. There are thousands of things that you could do. But I, I had lunch with a lady just the last week who has gone through our coaching program. She went through an unexpected divorce. And so she thought, well, I'm going to coach other women going through the same kind of thing. And she did a beautiful job of positioning how she would work with them, the kind of things she would address, got a beautiful website up. I went out with her and, uh, you know, where are you on blogging, on podcasting, newsletter, you know, creating a social community, get your name out there. And she's like, I don't want to do any of that. You know, I just, I really just want to You know, maybe see people a couple of times a week and maybe do some art, you know, kind of hang around the house and say, well, geez, that's cool. You know, what's your economic model? Show me how you're going to make that work. Well, she doesn't have anything. And I says, you know what? My recommendation for you is to get a job. You don't want to do the things that are required to be an entrepreneur. And that's totally fine. I'm totally cool with that. I mean, I I did not say that in a derogatory way. I was totally supportive in wanting to help her do what's best for her. She needs to get a job. Now, she can do something that puts her in the artistic community. I mean, my gosh, go to work at uh, Hobby Lobby. You know, you can make 15 bucks an hour, 30,000 bucks a year. She can live on that and be immersed in an artistic kind of community, connect with a lot of people, but not have the responsibilities that are required to make working for yourself work. So it's not for everybody, but if you have those characteristics, my gosh, let's find something in rock and roll.
2: It's, it's funny you say that because I, I remember a few years ago when the recession hit and I said to my accountant, you know, I see all these people in high tech getting laid off. I'm sure that I'm going to have lots of competition now as a freelancer. And he just laughed and he said, No, no, you have to understand that just because someone is laid off doesn't mean they'll be a freelancer. And they they might, but many, many people want the security of a full time job. Um, And they don't want, as you just said, the responsibility of running a business in addition to everything else.
0: That's right. They want the security, but what they have is an illusion. But that's okay. We can deal (laughs) with
2: that another day. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) You know, if,
0: if you are a freelancer and you have, you know, 15 clients, You have a ton more security than somebody who shows up at work tomorrow morning knowing that one person can put them on the street before noon. I mean, that's not security. And a lot of people, you know, I'm hearing from from people, especially this time of year, you know, companies are making corrections and adjustments and all that. And so they're letting people go. And, you know, I hear from somebody, geez, those SOBs after 26 years, you know, they just cut me loose. And well, what's unreasonable about that? you don't have equity in the company it's not your company they paid you as long as your efforts there out surpassed you know what you were contributing to them if that's no longer the case they have every right to let you go you you don't have any kind of a contract there you just had a job where they paid you as long as it was workable on both sides
1: Yeah, it makes sense. One thing that I'm really curious about, and I was going to let you kind of talk through some of the other stuff in your books, but I'm really curious and I can't help myself. So I'm going to start asking questions. I really want to understand a little bit more about how you run your business. All right. So just to kind of get started, most of your business is centered around products that you have out there. I mean, you have Right to the Bank, you have The conference, I forget what it's called, but you have, you know, people come out to the sanctuary, which is his barn in the back of his house, to do training. You have the books, you have all of these other materials that people can buy from your website. How do you get there from, you know, maybe from somewhere closer to where we are actually doing more along the lines of what you have for coaching? You know, it it would be nice to have a little bit more of that product, I think, sometimes to kind of offset a little bit of the risk where... You know, I have to go out and actually sell somebody on paying for my services.
0: Right. Well, if you have to go out and get people that pay for your services, you've immediately established some pretty critical parameters. You are generating linear income for the most part, which means that you do something and get paid once. Uh, That to me is a challenge. The only things that really appeal to me are what is it that I can do once and get paid 10,000 times? Those are the things that I look for. Now, as a coach, as an example, let's use that because that's one of the things that I do. We know that 95% of coaches in America never make more than $40,000 a year. Wow. Is that discouraging? No. I simply have to ask, how difficult can it be to put myself in the 5%? All I have to do is look at the 95% of coaches and do things that they aren't willing to do. So that's no, that's a no brainer and I can do that. But in coaching, if I'm going to coach somebody, in career transitions, as an example, that means that I have a core message. I have core principles that I'm working with. Those things are going to be applicable to 95% of the people out there that are going through transitions, not just to that one person. So a lot of my work is going to be redundant or repetitive in that it's the same things that I went through with the last person that I worked with. Whoa, whoa. If I realize that, then what could I do to put that into a format where a whole lot of people could access it without even having access to me personally or requiring my time? So that all opens up immediately to eBooks, audio, podcasts, blogging, books, I mean, a whole host of things where I take my core message, but I just allow people to access it in a variety of ways. That's what I look for. Now, here's another thing that you, you may find of interest. My rule of thumb is if three people ask me the same question, I create a product for it. I mean, that, that's literal. I really do that. I, I create product at the drop of a hat because if I have three people ask me the same question, wow, I know it applies to thousands out there. I'm going to create a product where people can access that and they can access that. And I can benefit financially from that while I'm sitting on the beach with my wife.
1: That, that's amazing.
0: One, one of the things I use as a model in my business, is a Venn diagram. Now, it might be a little hard to convey this, you know, in an audio format, but a a Venn diagram, and it's three circles that intersect. So if you kind of visualize that in your mind, you have two at the top, one at the bottom, perhaps, and there's one point where they all overlap. For me, that central core is my writing. Now, it took a while for that to get there, but at this point, that is the center. That fuels everything else that I do. So, the other things then are applications of that core message. So, yes, I coach, I speak, we do live events here, we create a lot of products. Those are all applications of the writing, thinking, compiling information to help people through these inevitable transitions. But in doing that, In those seven distinct areas that are created by three circles that overlap like that, there's not much that requires my personal time. I mean, we just got, my wife and I just got back from Africa. We spent most of the month of November in Africa. That had nothing to do with my income. I mean, there was no change in my income at all. As a matter of fact, we had a pretty killer month last month with me being out of the country. That's because I'm not just a coach. I have my message available for people any way they want to access it. And I I mean, people say, well, gee, should I do an ebook? Should I do a traditionally published book? Should I do an audio? Should I do an instructional manual? My answer is all of the above. Let people access it any way they want it. Keep repurposing content and it'll exponentially explode your income and time freedom.
2: So you don't feel like if you've put information in a book, you should not put it on your blog or if you put it in a speech, you should not put it in a book. You're okay with giving the same information in multiple media?
0: My last book was with Thomas Nelson, major publisher, Wisdom Meets Passion. I got a contract from them in December. They wanted the manuscript the end of February. Now, not a whole lot of people commit to doing a book in 60 days. I said, hey, no problem. I mean, to put it in their timeline where we wanted to stage the release like they wanted, I said, hey, no problem. because. That book is essentially a compilation of blogs that I had done over the last two years. I just pulled them together in topical kind of sequence, so there are some chapters that go together, but you can open the book at any page and get a complete thought. It's not like you got to start at the beginning and go through. No. I mean, and more and more books are going in that direction. So absolutely. And the, the information I've got in there was in blogs. I've covered it in podcasts, in coaching sessions, and other kind of material that we've got. Repurpose again and again, and we see all the leaders in this intellectual information space who have done that. I mean, people like you know Tony Robbins and Brian Tracy and Zig Ziglar. I mean, they repurpose content. You see the same things showing up again, and again. I mean, I don't claim to be that original for all the product that I create, but my gosh, I just keep turning it out there. Do do we get complaints from people? Oh wow, I read that in the Rudder of the Day. No, never, never hear that. I mean, we know that with success principles, the power of repetition is just incomparable. You don't do something because you hear it once. You do something because you've heard it again and again and again. So I make no apologies for delivering the message in multiple ways over and over and over again. And people accept it willingly and pay for it.
2: That's fascinating.
1: So there's so much here. The rudder of the day is something that I've heard about. And it's it's funny that well let me back up for a second because one thing that you said really struck me and that was when you said that repetition is really the key and uh, you know we've we've had people like uh, Michael Port and uh, a few other people on the show and they've all said the same thing and it's not till I heard it the third or fourth time from the third or fourth expert that it really sunk in. <laughs> and then and then it's like my case. it's like how it's, appropriate well, and and it's, oh my goodness, you know this if I had realized this two months ago, I'd be way ahead, but uh you know it it, it really does sink in. One thing that I'm curious about is that uh, in your business, after listening to your podcast for a while, um you mentioned that you don't have any employees that you uh you only have contractors that that do certain amounts of work for you, and I'm curious as to how that works out for you. And I'm also curious as to what kinds of things you have them doing.
0: Wow. I love that. Now, that is not something, you know, that I just kind of hang my hat on. I would never have an employee. No, I've I've had businesses in the past where I had, you know, 40, 50 employees. Just in this particular one, I made that decision. Again, that's not something that I'm just trying to make a statement by. I just think it works best in that way. I'm not a good people manager for one thing. So the way I've structured my business says a whole lot more about me than it says, this is the right way to do it. It just happens to be that it fits me really, really well. So I have no employees, but I had last year, and we're just getting ready to do 1099s again because we're approaching the end of the year. But you know, last year, I think we had like 33. That means that many people that made significant money from my business, but none of them are employees. But as an example, my bookkeeper, I mean, wonderful gal, she knows my business inside now. She comes in one day a month. She knows how I think. She can take my, you know, rough notes when it comes to, you know, writing checks and things and know how to categorize it. I mean, she just reads my mind. She's amazing. I love her to pieces. She, she's an independent contractor. There, there's no way that I could justify having her on staff. If I did as an employee, I'd be creating other kinds of things just to justify having her around 40 hours a week. I don't want to do that. I want to use a person's absolute best area of competence and have them do only that. So if somebody's a designer and I need a new book cover design, I want them to do that. I don't want to making a product and putting shipping together. No, I want them to use their unique skill somebody's a web designer, boom, that's what they do. So I have a lot of people. I mean, I've got uh, right now a team that's doing some really innovative marketing things. Well, they're compensated. They and, and, and I don't pay anybody by the hour, incidentally. I pay people for results, not for time. I don't care if somebody's designing a cover for me. I don't care if they take 20 minutes or 20 hours. I'm going to pay the same thing because I pay for results, not time. So these guys doing the marketing... I don't have any kind of a a base for them or guarantee. No, they're paid a percentage of net profit. Wow! If we knock it out of the park, they're going to make a lot of money. Here's another example. I just put a course up on Udemy, which I'm just totally jazzed about. It's how it's the ultimate advantage how to create your own mastermind group. So we put that up there. Now there are eight videos. They're short. They total 60 minutes. So they're six, seven minutes a piece. But we did all those videos, had a team come here, set up, do the videos. They did the editing. They did all the technology to put it up there, all the bells and whistles to put into the functionality that Udemy provides. I did none of that. I paid that team zero. Gee, how interesting. I said, how'd you guys like to get 15% of the net profit? They said, oh my gosh, we'd love it. Now here's the deal. If that sells I mean, the 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 money involved in online courses is a whole lot different than traditional books. I mean, if I sell a traditional book and my publisher sells 10,000 copies, you know, I'm going to make fifteen twenty thousand 20,000 bucks. If we put a course up that we sell for $48, which is what we're doing this, we show it at 96, we give everybody 50% off, if we sell 10,000 of that, that's almost half a million bucks. So if we do that and they get 15%, you know, they're going to get 50,000 bucks. If we sell 20,000, they're going to get a hundred thousand bucks. What if we sell 200? You know, they're going to get about $500, but they're willing to get in the game with me because they believe in what I'm doing. So I have a lot of things structured like that with competent people who are adding value to what I'm doing in my business, but it's not like some fixed overhead that's going to bury me. Everything's tied to, tied to profitability. And as long as we're profitable, everybody standing in line to do projects with me.
1: That's really interesting. Left
0: everybody speechless.
1: Well, I'm, yeah, I was, just... I was kind of amazed by just like the the sorry everybody's all excited all at once. I was just amazed by the profit model. I guess. I mean, I've I've personally been kind of working on going towards that model just to scale up what I'm doing to reach more people, and that kind of blows me away, truthfully. <laughs> I was just thinking about all the times where I've been offered equity as a developer in something or some profit on, but I guess the ideas have never seemed ultimately that feasible
2: long-term. So,
0: Wow. Well, you have to choose carefully. If you did that on a bunch of losers, that could be a problem.
2: Yeah, I'd be buying a new fridge so I could have the
0: box to live in later. <laughs> 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 but if you believe in where that's going... I mean, I have a friend who's a ghostwriter. He's written books for lots of popular people, celebrities and all that. And for years, he just got a big fat fee on that. And I'm like, my gosh, take a piece of the back end. So if you have a New York Times bestseller, you you make a ton of money. Well, he wasn't sure he wanted to take that risk. And so he had some books that consistently just showed up as New York Times number one bestsellers. And all he got was just his standard fee. And finally, opened him up to the idea of, man, if you believe in this project, structured in a way where you benefit from the upside—that's possible.
1: Well, that's interesting.
0: And and here's the thing, you know, I mean, if I have somebody working with me and they say, no, I don't want to do that. I just want you to pay me. Then it questions me their their belief in what we're doing. Period. Why would they do that rather than participate? In the open-ended door, it must mean they don't really believe it's going to happen, and that would, you know, be a red flag for me.
1: So uh, I'm kind of on the other end of this. You know, I'm more of a service provider. What well, we all are, we're, we're all freelance uh, developers, one way or the other. So I guess the question becomes: I mean, how do you identify the winners?
0: <laughs> Boy, if we knew that, we'd go to Las Vegas this afternoon, one way.
1: It's only a six-hour drive from here.
0: <laughs> well, that's that's a great question, and obviously not a not an easy one to answer. You know, how do you identify the winners? I mean, when uh, I'm in the writing world too. I mean, who who could have predicted? You know, heaven is for real. This little quaint book written by a daddy, just giving his kids thoughts that came out of you know dream surgery illness kind of thing i mean nobody would have predicted that that would have gone on to sell millions of copies or even like rick warren purpose driven life i mean good night i mean there's not that many you know believers in the country to to account for you know 40 million copies there's a whole lot of people that are picking that up who never step step foot in a in a church and whose beliefs don't line up with his at all somehow that just hit a nerve I don't know. I wish we could identify those kind of winners. Uh, but you look at somebody's track record. I mean, look at what they've done, not just what they're blowing smoke about what they're going to do. But look at what they've done. And if you have a little track record to go on, then some of the results ought to be a little more predictable.
1: Mm-hmm. And then if not, then do we just go to the regular pricing structure that we usually go with hourly or you know, per chunk of the project or however we structure that?
0: Sure yeah there's nothing wrong with that and and I'll have to uh, admit as well when I say that you know everybody here is tied to results. I mean I have web people who are on a monthly retainer because they're just certain set kind of things I mean I'm gonna send the newsletter out or post my get my podcast up or you know get the blog out to various places Those are just kind of systematic things that we're going through. I don't look at those and try to track revenue tied directly to those. Week by week activities. So, I have people that are on just a monthly retainer. But what that means, I'm still not paying them hourly. I don't know if it takes them 10 hours or 40 hours to do what they do. And it really doesn't make any difference to me. I've just agreed to a monthly retainer and they need to make sure that those things are done. So, I still love their agreement and I don't care if they're making $200 an hour, which I suspect, you know, at times they are, but other times it may, may be different if we're kind of launching something new. Mm -hmm. But I I just have it structured in a way that makes sense for me where I don't have to cringe, you know, when Friday rolls around and think, oh, geez, I've got, you know, $8,000 in payroll and no money in the bank. That that just never happens with the way I have things structured. It can't. And to me, that's a, a pretty robust way to build a business.
1: Yeah. Maybe you could walk us through. I'm, I'm curious now that you're talking about it, you know, with your web people and your other sort of marketing channels, your podcast people. How does your marketing engine work? How How does it run?
0: Um, I'm not sure I know exactly so, what
1: you're. So you mentioned the podcast. You mentioned the yes. newsletter. What, what other avenues of outreach do you have? And what's kind of the end goal of each one to bring people in to eventually, you know, buy a product or come to the innovate conference or something? Well, wow, okay.
0: I'm not as strategic as what I'd like to claim to be. I'm, I'm just an old farm boy and I just get out here and do a lot of things. There are a lot of things that I don't track very carefully at all. In August of 2000, I started a newsletter. Said, hey, I'm just going to send this out to people with just career tips, a little humor in there. You know, if you like it, pass it on. I sent that out to 67 people whose email addresses I had. 67 people, August of 2000. Well, people shared, went on. I've never done anything very strategic about that, but I've had over 130,000 people sign up for that little newsletter. I just try to provide good, interesting, inspiring, encouraging content, and it just seems to work well. So, you know, then when podcasting and blogging came along, you know, I jumped on the bandwagon there, you know, do those. Those things work well for me. We started 48days.net as a social community for people who want to turn their dreams into reality. We've got about 14,000 really active people there who are sharing ideas. So I just do lots of things. I mean, like this, doing an interview. I mean, last month I did 28 interviews. So I do a lot of interviews and I don't try to measure each thing. But the combination of things that I'm doing to be a player seem to work pretty well at keeping things moving. I I mean, I have no idea. This this is going to really sound, I have no idea how many Twitter followers I have, how many people actually subscribe to my blog. I mean, there are a whole lot of things I don't track at all. I I just continue doing the things that I'm doing and I don't want to appear sloppy about it. And right now, these guys I've got working on the marketing, you know, they want to know analytics, blah but blah, blah. Like, hey, I don't know. Go find it. Go figure it out. I don't know. I mean, I just, I like to do things at the top end and let other people worry about the technical side, but it's not like I'm trying to measure every activity. How is this going to benefit me? How many books am I going to sell? You know, what's the conversion rate? I don't do a lot of that stuff. I just enjoy what I'm doing. And the results continue to work pretty well.
2: So, Dan, at the, um, I don't know, risk of sounding a little skeptical or rude, you're you're obviously very successful at what you do, and I think all of us would love to emulate a lot of the things that you've done, the ways that you've done them. But if you're just sort of starting off, is it practical to just do lots of blogging and lots of do lo- uh, sort of just get the name out there and not pay attention to the conversion rates? Is that a a good strategy for getting ahead? Or is it only going to work once you've already passed that threshold?
0: Wow, that boy—that's a chicken and an egg question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, at this point, I mean, I can create any kind of product. I can create any kind of product, and we know we're going to sell a lot of it. I can uh, go to any publisher with my track record, and they're going to want to publish what I write. I mean, that's a pretty cool place to be in. Uh, the interviews—the twenty-eight interviews that I did last month—you know, did I make outgoing calls? Not a single one. I mean, those are just screening and eliminating a whole lot of requests to do just that many because I try to confine them to one afternoon a week. So it does. it's a question that is reasonable to ask. But my advice to somebody starting now is still start with something that you're going to do consistently. I answered a question for a lady this week who said, gee, I've been blogging for over a year and I don't have any followers. You know, it was really worthwhile doing. Well, I went and looked at her blog. There were months where she missed doing anything. And here's another thing. I commented, you know what immediately came up her blog? Your comment is waiting moderation. I wrote to her and I said, there are two things that will guarantee killing your blog success. One is being inconsistent and another is moderating comments that come in. It turns people off. You're sending people away don't expect to do that. If you want to blog, then start blogging. Don't track analytics. Don't be doing anything to measure your success for a year. Do it consistently for a year. I don't care if it's once a week or three times a week, do it consistently. And then a year from now, let's look up and See if we can tweak it to make it better. So, my, my advice still is you know, jump in the game, be very active in a lot of things. I mean, I spoke, geez, I, I'll bet I've spoken at every rotary club within 100 miles of where I live. I don't know how to track the benefits of that, but here's an example. About three years ago, I had a company contact me, their 47 year old CEO had just gone down on a single plane crash and killed him. They were looking for the next CEO had no secession plan in place. They contacted me. Will you help us screen candidates and replace this very important position, significant size company? I said, sure. and went through it. It was a very expensive process for them that I helped them through. And I said, you know, how did you hear about me? And the guy says, oh, four years ago, you spoke to our noon rotary group in Madison, Tennessee. When this situation happened, you're the first person I talk, I thought of. Oh, you got to be kidding me. So I could have never predicted that. I could have never connected the dots if four years later, but the things that I'm doing, I mean, yeah, I'm benefiting from things that I did 10 years ago, but I'm also benefiting from things that I did 30 days ago. And you you can't say, well, it's too late to get in. You just start where you are. Here, here's another thing. I'm identified as a coach or speak, a coach and writer. Everything that people know about me has happened in the last 10 years. It wasn't like I started when I was 20 years old and built this you know, monolithic business. Not at all. I did a whole lot of other things totally unrelated to what I'm doing now. And boom, when I was about 45 years old, some things kind of converged. Some opportunities opened up and I said, ooh, this is interesting. So I became a writer speaker. But it's it's happened in a very short period of time. So my question to anybody is, all right, if you start now with nothing, without any of the momentum that I have, how would you like to be where I am ten years from now? And believe me, you can do it a lot faster with social media and technology that we have today than what I did.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, I've gotten uh, really lucky that uh, a lot of the following that I have has happened in the past three or four years. But it's been stuff that I've work, been working on for you know probably five or eight years. And a lot of the like the referral work that I've gotten has actually been from a lot of people that you know, we're around when
0: I was first starting to do this stuff. Okay, sure. I mean, we all, I mean, people, we're so impatient today. Everybody wants it to be instant. And we assume, you know, with Twitter and instant messaging and all that, that everything happens overnight. It really doesn't. I mean, there's a wonderful book that I recommend a lot, written by Darren Hardy, who's publisher of Success Magazine. His book is called The Compound Effect. And it just shows, you know, success Usually happens over a significant period of time. I mean, Malcolm Gladwell, in his writing, talks about the 10,000 hour rule. You don't see a Michael Jordan or a Tiger Woods or somebody who's excellent in what they do who just showed up yesterday and decided, oh, this is my passion, I'm going to do it. No, they put in the time nobody comes with their talents full blown. We come with a seed of a talent and we need to water it, fertilize it, weed it, nurture it along. Then it becomes something significant over time. And people today tend to be extremely impatient, especially in this space that we're in, you know, information, you know, technology They, Oh man, I want to make $50,000 a month starting next month because I'm going to do something on the internet. Well, that's probably going to be a flash in the pan and people figure out you aren't really delivering. You're gone. to 90 days from now, that's not the way real success is built.
1: So I want to ask you a couple more questions about some of the other things you've talked about on the show. One of them is the rudder of the day. I have, I've had that come up a couple of times. It's funny because your rule of three where, you know, three people ask me about it, I make a product for it. For me, if three people tell me about it, I go check it out. And uh, <laughs> that, that, that was one of them. So um, All right. uh, I'm just a little curious. Can you give us a brief synopsis of what that's about and uh, how you approach it? Sure. Writer of the day is 91
0: newsletter articles that I did. That's all it is. It's a compilation. Here's how that developed. When, when we came out, when my publisher published 48 days to the work you love, I said, you know what? I've got an idea for a little daily meditational book that would go along with that. Be a great companion for that. Described it to them. They said, yeah, we think that's a great idea. They sent me a contract. I think it had a $30,000 advance in it and said, We'll have this published in 22 months. I said, you got to be kidding me. You know, why the delay? But that's how, you know, traditional organizations tend to think. I said, you know what? I can have this on the shelves in 30 days. I'll just do it myself. Thanks, but no thanks. And That's exactly what I did. My son did the cover graphic for that, this beautiful ship in the water, rudder of the day. And it comes from an old Emerson quotation where it talks about the first hour is the rudder of the day. What you do in the first hour of the day determines the direction of your day. But I did exactly that. I pulled it together, had a layout editor do a beautiful interior design. Each page, you know, starts with a little ship there and then it's done in kind of an uh, ivory color with some reverse print where I have a scripture reference and then daily application. That's been a, I mean, we've gone through tens of thousands of that book, but that's how it came about. I did it myself. But it was a companion piece to a traditionally published
1: work as well. Yeah, that that's just amazing. And I found that uh, if I can make myself get up early and you know consume something like that, it really makes a difference for me.
0: Well, again, it's just repurposed content. I didn't sit down with the blank piece of paper and write that book. It was simply grabbing what I had already put out in another form. And and the ironic thing, and it may seem counterintuitive, is that you you can go on my website. And have all those archives of the old newsletters. Every single piece that's in that book is already on the archives that people can access free. Doesn't matter. You put it in a book form, make it look nice. People are still going to buy it. I mean, that's been a hot seller of ours for a very long time. I've had a lot of requests for updated versions, which would be easy to do, you know, runner of the day, two, three, four, and five, whatever, or different titles, which I would probably do. I just haven't done that because I'm, been extremely busy, but it certainly has merit to put out new versions of that same content.
1: So the other question I have, and it's somewhat related to this, um, I've actually started picking up my own content, you know, things I want to learn, things that inspire me, you know, to, to kind of uh, use at the beginning of the day. You talked a lot about reading books on your podcast, and you actually have a list of books that you recommend to people. How do you select the books? How do you pick what you what you should be reading when I hear people, three people recommend it, <laughs>
0: that sounds <It's>, familiar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's what you just said. I mean, if somebody says, wow, here's a new, I mean, Malcolm Gladwell has a brand new book, uh, David and Goliath. Jeez. And I pre ordered that because I heard enough people talking about it. I mean, just an amazing book. Boom, it instantly goes on my recommended reading list. Yeah, reading has served me really well. Now this is one of those things. Well, in that book, you know, this is a kind of a neat segue because in that book he talks about desirable difficulties. A lot of times, the things we think are obstacles to our own success turn out to be our greatest assets. Now here's an example. I grew up in a very poor little farming family in rural Ohio. Milking cows five thirty in the morning, throwing hay bales in the heat of summer. We didn't have radio or TV in our house. Not nothing. That drew me to books. My reading of books opened a world of opportunities for me and continues to serve me very well today. I tell people all the time, if you want to double your success rate in the next six months, the best way I know to do that is to read great books. And then what I tell them, of course, you want to know what I recommend? Hey, go to this. You can send a blank email to reading at 48days.com. Boom, you get an instant. Autoresponder sends you right to my reading page. I have about 40 books there that I recommend. And the reasons that I recommend them, and of course, every single one of them are hyperlinks through Amazon. So once a month, Amazon puts a nice little check in my account. So you know, again, there's no secret about all that. Yeah, I love, I love reading. I mean, last year I read uh, seventy-four books. I'm on track, probably do about the same this year. But I mean, anything that comes along that is of interest in the area that I am working in, yeah, I'm going to grab immediately. I mean, decisive. Chip and Dan Heath's new book on how we make decisions. I mean, those kind of books, I mean, they just don't get past me. I'm going to get them. And I scan a lot of books digitally. And, uh, but as soon as I decide that it's something I really want to read, I order a physical copy. I still like to hold it in my hand. I've got my own system for notating. I use the little tiny post-it notes that are part of a highlighter that you just pull out of a highlighter. So my books are heavily highlighted and have little post notes on it so i can then put it on a shelf 3 years later i can come back pull it off the shelf and go exactly to the things that were most important to me when i read it the first time
1: that's a, that's pretty awesome i've actually picked up some of these books on audible.com um, i find when i'm going to the gym or things like that you know i try and get up early and make it to the gym and when i manage to do that then it's nice cuz i'm working out and consuming great content
0: absolutely that's a great combination of improving personally and physically at the same time. Yeah, Audible, I mean, they're a a steady sponsor of my podcast, got a great relationship with them because we send lots of people there to get books. And each week I recommend specific books that they can go there and get. Great way to do it.
1: All right. Well, I think we've uh, pretty well exhausted the questions. I could probably sit and talk to you all day, but... um, (laughs) Yeah, if if I ever make it out to uh, Tennessee again, I'll I'll see if I can work something out to meet up with you. I think that would where be do, awesome. Where do you live? I'm in Utah. You're in
0: Utah. Well, sure, it's an easy easy flight over. Yeah. Yeah, the we we have events, or you mentioned that. We have Coaching with Excellence, which is a real popular event, and then Innovate, which is just outrageous. I mean, that's something I came up with last year. We just threw it out there and the response has been phenomenal. Now, we limit our the size of our events because of the size of our location here the sanctuary only holds 60 max so we have to cut that off every time but we've done some just really fun things as part of that event innovate to help people tap into their own creativity and then find ways to create an economic model to profit from that so we do lots of fun things here so yeah show up here we'll take you on a tour of the property and introduce you to some other uh, creative people
1: I've thought about actually doing some events out here that are kind of geared toward the same kind of thing. But, I i mean, I don't have a barn behind my house or anything where I can host <laughs> it. Uh, do you have any recommendations for getting something like that together and getting the word out?
0: Sure. I mean, I, I'm one of these things to jump and hope the net will appear. So, I don't try to think through every possibility, and talk myself out of doing things. I do a lot of things where I just get out there, get in the game. Now, having the advantage of having a building here in my property, so we don't have the commitment of overhead in a hotel facility or convention facility or something, I mean, that's a help. But there are a lot of places around where I live here, and certainly where you live as well, that you can explore, you know, an office office conference area or something a chamber of commerce has. I mean, I've done events at a chamber of commerce where with no charge, they gave me access to their facility. There are a lot of places around like that. You know, structure something that's simple without a lot of obligation up front and just announce it, but then promote the fire out of it, have fun with it. If five people show up, deliver the same value that you would if you had a hundred there, but uh, just get in the game. There's really not much downside to this kind of thing. And I've seen a lot of people who have just, structured events and are now profiting from what they're doing with those or partner with a couple other people you know like you guys together here i mean get three or four people together to do a joint event together where you all have a little time to present or whatever invite in a couple uh ring ringers in terms of speakers i mean i've I, i've always done that i mean i invite big names to our events and i have people standing in line saying gee can i come and, and speak at your event?" And I'm like, uh, you know that I'm going to give you lunch as your compensation. I know, but I just want to be there. I keep hearing about it. I mean, if you create events that are that compelling, you'll have talent standing in line wanting to be a part of it. Awesome.
1: All right. Well, we want to be respectful of your time. So we're going to go ahead and get into the picks. Ash, do you want to start us out with the picks? I do not have any picks today. Uh, Eric, (laughs) what are your picks?
2: All right. uh, I just finished a book. It's called Writing Your Way by uh, Don Fry. It's basically teaches you different techniques of how to write and, you know, different processes. And it's nice because it's a, you can sample different ways and figure out like what works for you. Um, I'm going to take a couple of them and try to adapt them to my writing process and see if it improves things or makes it easier. But it was nice because it's kind of a, you know, a collection of things. It's not a, this is the one way you have to write.
1: Awesome. Curtis, do you have any picks for us? Yes, I do. I'm going to pick, uh, the book. Uh, the 12 years book is 12 years a slave. Uh, it's actually free online at 12 years.org and it's, I've been reading it for the last three or four days and it's very, very interesting. It's not actually that long. I'll probably finish it tomorrow or by the weekend, at least very interesting to, I guess, just to read about slavery and how they were treated and,
2: uh, thing something that's totally foreign to any of us. All right, Reuven, what are your picks? Okay. Um, so I've got a few picks today. I've mentioned before that I enjoy NPR's Planet Money, which is a podcast about economics. They do really a great job of explaining things and going to depth. And they decided about, I think a year ago, to do a t-shirt. And they did a whole Kickstarter project and people could buy t-shirts from them. And they said, you're not just buying a t-shirt, but we're going to follow the making of this t-shirt, uh, from growing the cotton to spinning into yarn and so on. And so they're finally done with the project. And I have to say, I was a little skeptical. It is unbelievably fascinating, both the radio reports they did and they did this whole multimedia presentation with pictures and movies and descriptions and explanations of of the machines and places they were. Truly, truly amazing to to read through and to watch and listen to that. So I definitely recommend that. And two things that are sort of uh, related to that, two books that are related to that that I read a few years ago. uh, One is called The Travels of a T-Shirt which uh, was actually the inspiration for this uh, journalistic venture that they did, where someone, uh, I forget her name, Pietra, ooh, I wish I remember her last name, she went and followed T-shirts. What happens when they are bought? What happens when they are given away to charity? Where do they end up in the end? Really the whole life cycle of shirts. And it's fascinating to find out how far uh, one of our shirts can travel from beginning to end. And most of these things travel nowadays, and a huge amount of stuff that we buy and use travels by ship. And that's all possible because of shipping containers. Uh, Now with my move to Israel, my move back to the US, my move back to Israel, um, I had a lot of experience shipping things in these containers, but I was truly awestruck by uh, the description of them in this book called The Box from a few years ago. And it sounds on the face of it like it's going to be an incredibly boring book about shipping containers, but it's really written very well and it gives you an uh, amazing appreciation for how things are moved from place to place nowadays. So uh, those are my picks.
1: Awesome. All right. I'll go ahead and do some picks. I'm actually going to pick a bunch of my favorite podcasts. Um, one of them is the, Ride to the Rise to the Top with David Seitman Garland. Uh, it's got some terrific content. And uh, he's, he's kind of taken a focus on uh, mediapreneurs lately, which I really enjoy. And uh, I also bought his uh, Create Awesome Online Courses class. And uh, that is a stellar class as well. Another pick, and uh, I know that Dan is familiar with this one, is The Free Agent Underground Show with Kevin Miller, who's Dan's son. And there's some terrific content that he puts out every week. And he lives out here in Colorado. I've actually uh, been to the town that he lives in. And they've got a community around free agency and stuff. And it is it is spot on uh stuff that they talk about there. Uh The last one is uh the podcast Answer Man podcast. I have people ask me all the time, what does it take to make a podcast? And I'm always telling them to go listen to Cliff Ravenscraft about podcasting. And I, I get to talk to Cliff every couple of weeks because I'm part of his podcast mastermind but Cliff is a genuine person and he just knows his stuff. So um, I highly, highly recommend that one as well. Dan, do you have some picks for us?
0: You know, I, I bought, I'd love to just pick up on a couple of the things that you guys have already thrown out there. I love the, Story about the T-shirts traveling around. We just got back from Kenya, Africa, in Nairobi, and then down in Mombasa, and it's amazing to see T-shirts there. You know, you see a guy by beside of the road, he's got a big stack of T-shirts, and it's you know the Freelancers Marathon, you know, June 2013, and you know they were just overruns from an event, and probably got shipped over there in containers to give away, and somebody took it on as a business, created a little entrepreneurial business out of that. But man, I, I'm intrigued by that. Following. Those around. Wow. If I were to uh, do a pick, yeah, it would be Malcolm Gladwell's new book, David and Goliath, talking about how we see things as a disadvantage that may in fact be our greatest asset. He talks about, you know, people like Robin Williams who still sees words upside down and in reverse. Well, what happens to a little kid in the third grade when he's asked to stand up and read and he can't read? He gets words all jumbled up and kids laugh at him. He becomes a class clown. Well, that's, that's worked pretty well for Robin Williams, but he's got a lot of examples of that, real people who had what would be difficulties. And it helped me kind of frame some of the things that I grew up with. You know, it'd be easy to frame as difficulties. And yet in retrospect, I see how they helped lead me to new opportunities. That's awesome.
1: All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, Dan.
0: Hey, absolutely. My pleasure. I hope that our, conversation, having fun together. will remove some cobwebs and bring some inspiration to your listeners as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Are you going to be speaking or traveling anywhere where people can see you in the near future?
0: Well, as a matter of fact, I am. In January, I'll be at New Media Expo doing a panel with Cliff Ravenscraft on podcasting in Las Vegas. It's like the 4th through the 6th. And then in, I think, well, in March, I'm doing a launch conference. That's a Michael Hyatt conference on emerging speakers. And then in April, I'll be at, be doing a panel with John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire in San Diego at, at Michael Stelzner's event, Social Media Marketing. Those are just a, a few of the things. But, yeah, I've got a very busy schedule for 2014. In addition to my writing deadlines, new products we're launching I've got a pretty busy schedule of conferences and events. Now, when, when I go to conferences like that, I mean, I don't just you know swoop into town 45 minutes before I go on stage and speak and leave. Never. I soak up the entire event. I mean, I intend to gain a whole lot more than what I think that I'll be able to give to other people. But meeting other people who are doing the same things I'm doing, man, I love that process of sharing ideas and resources and all going to higher levels of success.
1: That's amazing. At New Media Expo, if a big bald guy from Utah comes up and don't be afraid, I apologize in advance. I'm just a little excited.
0: Well, I <laughs> look forward
1: to that. We'll have to hang out together. Yeah, that would be awesome. All right. Well, we'll, like I said, we'll wrap up the show. Thanks again for coming. Um, we'll catch everybody next week.